Drafting Archetypes is sponsored by Grey Viking Games. Grey Viking Games is the best place to get MTGA arena codes. From booster packs to awesome cosmetics, check them out at greyvikinggames.com and use our code DRAFT for 10% off. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black, and today we are going to talk about drafting Abzan Strixhaven. For anyone who is a uh, limited guru over on patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, if you are interested in following along with my notes as I go over this archetype and episode, uh, feel free to pull those up. Those have been posted on Patreon. For everyone else, don't worry, I plan to talk through everything you need to know. So... Heading into, like, Abzan, like, some important context to know about. <laughs> First, Abzan performs worse than any other wedge, according to uh, the 17lands.com, like, big picture data, and then, like, considerably worse than either Silverquill or Witherbloom. So I don't think that you should set out to be like, my goal is to draft Abzan. I think that it's more of a place that you find yourself sometimes, and then you need to know how to cope with that when that's where the draft leads you. So, like, the main ways that I would imagine ending up here is if, you know, like, sometimes you start, you, like, try to draft Silver Quill, you take some good Silver Quill cards, you open with a closing statement or something, but it turns out other people are also taking Silver Quill and it's not available. And you need to find a way to pivot. And so uh, maybe green is a place that you pivot into because it's, you know, a, a gentle pivot from one college into another college from like starting with Silver Quill, you know, that opens you up to pivoting to either Lorehold or Witherbloom as like your splash or whatever. So it's not hard to imagine that you start with some Silver Quill cards, Silver Quill's cut, green's open, and you end up pivoting into green, and then maybe trying to hold on to some of your Silver Quill cards. Alternatively, could go the same way with uh, Witherbloom. And then sometimes in more rare occasions, Maybe you have like green and white cards that you think work well together. And then you're like, well, if I have green and white cards that work well together, I should probably expect that I'm going to want to splash some black cards too. Uh, so for example, you first pick like Mavinda, the legendary mythic 2-3 flying owl or whatever that lets you recast your spells from the graveyard. If you first pick that, it would be reasonable to second pick a mage duel. They play really well together. So if you start a draft with move into into mage duel you could try to be the like slesnia magecraft deck that kind of exists as a fringe archetype in this format or you could just say look there's a really good chance that i'm gonna you know if i'm playing white and green cards both of these can use you know black gold cards um and black campuses so i'm gonna expect that i'm gonna end up in a three color space from here i think those are the main ways that you end up here i like you try to draft a college it gets cut and you pivot into trying to find an open lane and then potentially try to make all three work i would say that anytime you're looking to be a three color pair you're going to be really, 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 really well served by having environmental sciences. That That's obviously true if you're more than two, but specifically with three, I think like environmental sciences is the way. People have watched me draft a lot of the like multicolored Demir school of thought or white control school of thought type decks. Might've noticed that I'm comfortable going into the like multicolor space before I have an environmental sciences. And when I do that, I'm always 
hoping to see an environmental sciences, but drafting in such a way that my deck is functional regardless of whether I see it or not. And I do that by prioritizing card selection spells and campuses and archway commons and letter of acceptance. And then if I see sciences, great. If not, things still work out. But a big part of what makes things work out is my willingness to use the five color fixing pieces that are clunky but powerful fixers, um, letter of acceptance and archway commons. And I don't like to rely on those cards in three color decks because you're paying a pretty large cost to have a card that fixes all of your colors. And if you're only using three colors, it's not really necessarily like worth it. Like you're not getting as much out of that card. You know, like there get to be spots where it's like, is it really worth playing an archway commons instead of just like a basic land of the one extra color I'm splashing or something. Whereas environmental sciences is perfect for turning on a three color mana bases because environmental sciences finds one missing color. And if you're three colors, it's easy to build your mana base such that your any opening hand you keep will have two colors and it'll be missing a third. And then environmental sciences can find the third color and then you're good to go. Whereas if you're playing four or five colors, a single environmental sciences finds one missing color but doesn't actually fix all of its all of your problems by itself. And you can end up in a space where you're actually overtaxing your environmental sciences if you are like more than three colors and leaning really heavily on it. When I'm targeting that exactly three colors space, that's when I actually find environmental sciences to be most important and the biggest difference in the quality of my deck based on whether I have access to it or not. So what this means is that when I'm in this space where I was drafting Silver Quill or Witherbloom and I'm looking to transition pivot into Abzan, I'm a lot more likely to try to like make that pivot and try to keep using all of my cards rather than potentially like dropping a card or two and switching two color pairs. Um, I'm a lot more likely to try to make it all happen if I have an have or can find an environmental sciences. And then the other thing that you want to understand, anytime you're trying to build a mana base that's based on environmental sciences, you find, well, this means that I want to reliably have access to environmental sciences early, which means I want to really strongly prioritize two and three mana learn spells. If you're prioritizing two and three mana learn spells to make sure that you draw one, you find pretty quickly that what happens is you actually end up drawing more than one per game. And so that means you need other lessons to find so that your additional learn cards that you draw are also good. So you end up really, you know, going down a path where you have to prioritize other lessons really highly also. It's not like, well, I'm getting environmental sciences all the time, so that means my lesson situation is solved and I don't need other lessons. It's a big part of my deck is my lesson plan. And so I need to have a robust lesson plan with a lot of learned cards and lessons. Because I see this and other three color pairs as being so strongly based in environmental sciences, they also end up being based in learn and lesson to the point where a vast majority of the commons that you want to take highly are either removal spells or learn cards. And then everything else, like for example, creatures, gets demoted considerably. Because you're demoting creatures and prioritizing removal spells and less than learn cards, trying to rely more on summonings to give you your creature count and battlefield presence. Which means in Abzan, I would be really highly prioritizing fractal summoning, pest summoning, and inkling summoning. 
All of those fill slightly different roles. All of them do really good things for the deck. So I would want to make sure that I have as many of those available to me as possible. That includes multiple of the same one or different ones. I really just want a lot of summon lessons. I also, while we're on the subject of lessons, I absolutely love anytime you have access to like anything that makes a pest. I absolutely love necrotic fumes. And among the commons, I think the most notably exceptional lesson for Abzan, to my mind, is actually Intro to Prophecy. Expanded Anatomy is like the big show in like the White Agra decks. But in Abzan, I like Intro to Prophecy because I think that it just plays really well in kind of the mid-range space where often you're like learning early and you don't really know what lesson you're going to want first. And this gives you a lot of flexibility to like look at cards and choose what you want based on the texture of the game at the point when you get around to casting it. And it also functions as a backup environmental sciences if you don't have environmental sciences and need to dig for your missing color. It's just good general purpose. And like the fact that as like a mid-range deck, you're a little bit more on the battlefield. I'm counting removal spells as playing to the battlefield. Uh, the stuff that you're doing is in impacting the battlefield in a way that gives you time to spend casting Intro to Prophecy while putting you in a place where you're not so aggressive that you need to be playing a threat instead of spending that time to do it. So you're not like so controlling that you're behind and can't spend the mana to, and you're not so aggressive that you need to like keep the pressure on and can't spend the mana to. You're in a place where you're playing a bit of a slower game that can, you know, prioritize kind of like the strength and flexibility offered by putting extra mana into, into Intro to Prophecy to kind of try to find some of the more powerful cards that you have in your deck. That could be continuing to just like find more threats that learn or specific like good removal or like drawing to a bookworm or whatever. And then, I mean, obviously all the lessons are good. But Intro to Prophecy, I think, is exceptional in this particular deck. Other things I want to touch on. Yeah, so obviously like the fact of this idea that you're going to spend some mana learning and fixing your mana and stuff means that you shouldn't be thinking of yourself as an aggro deck. But you're also not really like... You know, you're not playing the same kind of game that the blue decks are. You are playing creatures and attacking with them, but you're and killing your opponent's creatures. It's really just a traditional mid-range space, and I think relatively unavoidable that it ends up going to that kind of space. The Abzan type decks often end up playing pretty well against the blue control decks because they're so full of value, like pest summoning and just like. Professor of Zoomancy and like, you know, this like general space of value cards grind pretty well against the decks with a lot of removal spells. Brackish Trudge plays into this game plan. Bookworm, you know, is the top end of this game plan. But like Professor of Symbology is a really good way to get ahead against the people who are trying to one for one with you. Ebzan like has all of this stuff. So you're kind of more like grindy on the battlefield card advantage. That That's where you should expect to fall, is in the mid-range space in basically every Abzan deck. Um, unless you're basically just like Silver Quill splashing a couple of green cards. You know, you, you can be, oh, I'm Silver Quill, but I have like a Mage Duel and a Professor of Zoomancy, and I have like a couple of campuses and ideally in environmental sciences, and I'm mostly playing like a Silver Quill deck still. I wouldn't really consider that Abzan. I think Abzan is more about this like mid-range value space. So in looking at uh, which cards have succeeded on 17 lands across all of the Abzan decks that people have played, one thing that really stood out to me is that 
cards that require white mana early underperform in this archetype. It looks pretty solidly like at least what usually happens is that the archetype ends up being base wither bloom or maybe base black and then finding white mana later on. So that is most striking in underperformance by cards like Study Break and Killian Ink Duelist, which are both cards that I think are pretty strong in most contexts, but which had very unimpressive win rates relative to like their overall win rates in Abzan in particular. So I think that you want to be in a space where you're thinking of yourself as looking, you know, you want like the Witherbloom early game, Scurried Colony, Cram Session, Hunt for Specimens, Lash of Malice, and some like good uncommon creatures. Leech Fanatic's like, okay, but you don't want to have to go there, but not your first year. But Professor of Symbology is good enough. You would prefer to be using uh, Hunt for Specimens, Cram Session, Field Research as your common learn spells more than leaning on Guiding Voice and Study Break. I think a lot of what you're trying to do is kind of build like a board stall and then potentially win with flyers like Combat Professor, Spectre of the Fens, Ellen Shield Mage as just kind of a way to finish off if your like green deck stalls the board. That idea, basically there's this like tension. Do you want the green four or five drop that's really like, you know, good on the battlefield, but not doesn't have flying or do you want the like white and black flat? flying cards like do you want professor of zoomancy and witherbloom pledge mage or do you want specter of the fens and Allen shield mage and i think that the answer is the more removal you have the more you want the ground creatures and the less removal and more creatures you have the more you want the flyers so like witherbloom pledge mage plays well with removal spells but if you are low on removal and high on creatures then it's more likely that the board is going to get gummed up and Witherbloom Pledge Mage like won't have good attacks and won't be meaningfully adding a lot to your ability to block because you're already pretty good at that. And then an Allen Shield Mage in that kind of deck can end up giving you a path while your other stuff uh, gums up the board, which is different from what I would consider Allen Shield Mage's optimal use, which is where it's functioning more as like a burn spell type finisher in a Silverquill Aggro deck. But I think that it does have a potential place in a Witherbloom board stall, I need evasion type role. Although I would say the Combat Professor and Spectre of the Fens are both better in that space than Allen Shield Mages. If you don't know where you're going or where your deck is going to look like, in general, Witherbloom Pledge Mage is the stronger card in Abzan than Allen Shield Mage. But again, as you get higher creature density, I'm more interested in, okay, actually, I want to include Allen Shield Mage. A surprising data point that came up while I was looking over cards that were successful in this archetype. The best common three drop in this archetype by historical success in the 17 lands data is Spring Main Servant. Not Silverquill Pledge Mage, not Blood Researcher, not whatever else you might think it would be. It's Spring Main Servant, which is surprising to me. I don't think that is a very good card, but it does make an amount of sense. It, enabler, it enables your other life gain stuff while just being an okay thing that trades off and gives you a cushion by itself. I know that the Brush Strider or whatever, the 3-2, I mean the exact same card that existed in the recent whatever Ravnica set it was in, 
was another card where I just avoided playing it for a long time because it looked like a vanilla do-nothing. But then I ended up playing it in some of my control decks and found the gain two life plus trade with an attacker to be really useful against aggro decks. And so I can imagine Springmain Servant performing similarly here. I, I will admit that I haven't done that myself. I haven't been playing with the card. But its number, like its stats are actually like surprisingly better than the other alternatives in Abzan. So I would say that that's at the very least something to keep an eye on. I, I actually would interpret it more as a statement about how low you should be prioritizing the other creatures, like Silver Quill Pledge Mage and Blood Researcher. It's not so much like, oh, this means that you really want your Spring Main Servings for your Abzan deck. It's more you really want like field research and good uncommons and to be like really trying to avoid playing common creatures over casting summons on that turn because you had enough professor of symbologies and for specimens and stuff. Another surprising data point, discard performs well in this archetype. Not just Humiliate, which performs well across the board, but Agonizing Remorse and Go Blank both have pretty good stats here, which I think makes some amount of sense just in terms of thinking about this as a mid-range deck. You are not trying to end the game before your opponent has had a chance to use all the cards in their hand, and you can afford to spend some mana early on a discard spell. Both of those statements in contrast to like really aggressive decks that don't want to take the turn off to play the discard spell and are trying to end the game before the opponent can use all their cards. And you're also, you know, not necessarily playing as long a game as the control decks. More of the game is played with the cards in opening hands, such that taking the best card in their opening hand is more likely to be the best card they see over the course of the game than if you play a longer game like the blue decks do that give your opponent plenty of time to draw their bomb after you've seen their hand. So it kind of makes sense. I mean, we see this in Constructed that mid-range uh, decks generally play more discard than pure control decks or pure aggro decks. And so that trend from Constructed follows into this archetype where even though discard spells in the format overall don't perform very well, in this mid-range deck they are actually still good. So the, the commons you want to prioritize I think are pretty straightforward. It's every lesson, Lash of Malice, Cram Session, Hunt for Specimens, Field Trip, Mage Duel, Rise of Exodus, Combat Professor, Professor of Zoomancy, Scurried Colony, Witherbloom Pledge Mage. I think those are all of the commons that like really stand out to me as something exceptional. And then you end up playing cards like Mage Hunter's Onslaught, some of the other, like Spectre of the Fens, some of the other two and three mana creatures occasionally, Infused with Vitality, maybe a Leyline Invocation. Uh, there are plenty of filler commons that are, you know, not bad to have to play. But you're prioritizing removal spells, learn cards, and a couple of great creatures. Uncommons, it's the same situation. You're prioritizing like Emergent Sequence, Bookworm, probably like Bookworm and Emergent Sequence in some order are the top two um, uncommons in the archetype, followed by like Closing Statement and other uh, removal spells and other learned cards. Of note, Overgrown Arch and Witherbloom Apprentice perform super, super well. Like both of those outperform Killian in uh, Abzan and Overgrown Arch obviously makes complete sense to me in this archetype. It works really well with a bunch of random different payoffs and like blocks well and learns and just does everything you're looking to do. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think a lot of this is pretty similar to the notes from Witherbloom, but with more discussion of how to use white, 
you basically like you can't maximize the white control cards very well. It's fine to use like an expel in this archetype or whatever. If you end up heavy white, you can use Pilgrim of the Ages, but it's not natural to end up heavy white because so much of the white stuff is like early aggressive cards that you don't really take advantage of well. You're playing an attrition game, not a tempo game, in a way that makes it hard to maximize study break. You have like creatures that are naturally big, which makes guiding voice not great. You're not necessarily looking to have to kill every creature. You want to like kind of have some stuff that comes up the ground and then win with big creatures or evasive creatures in a way that means that there's not really a space for eager first year type cards. So a lot of the white stuff just doesn't really strategically fit well in mid-range approach, which is why this ends up being based in Witherbloom a little bit more. Anyway, that covers uh, my notes and my intro lecture here. So I'm going to open the forum up to questions. I want to thank my new patrons this week. So thanks to Kyle, David, Jason, and Thomas. Really appreciate the support. If anyone else is interested, as always, just encourage people to go to patreon.com slash drafting archetypes, check out what we offer and see if you want to be involved. And with that said, I'd like to turn this over to answering any questions. First question, what are some premium rares and mythics that might draw you into Abzan? So immediately before recording this, I actually just did a draft where I started with Blot Out the Sky and then Silver Quill wasn't open. I uh, ended up starting by pivoting into Abzan and then things got a little crazy and I pivoted into five color, but it certainly could have been a draft that ended up Abzan. Blot Out the Sky is a great example of the kind of card that's going to put you into Silver Quill in a way that you're not going to be willing to let go of, but that doesn't guarantee that Silver Quill will be open, which can lead to this space pretty easily. There's also, you know, cards that are powerful enough in any one of the colors that you really don't want to let go of it, like Sparring Regimen, Gnarled Professor, Poet's Quill, Sedgemore Witch, the Black Green Dean. Those are cards that are pretty likely to make me want to play them regardless of how the draft goes, but won't guarantee if I take them early that they're going to be in open colors. Since I said that it's not like, oh, I'm going to take, you know, this like three color dragon that puts me into the three color deck, like that, that kind of card doesn't exist. So you're going to take a one or two color card, and then you're going to presumably try to draft two colors, but sometimes that'll be closed and you'll have to pivot. And so really the stuff that's going to make you most likely to be, I'm actually playing three colors, is the stuff where you pivot but don't give up on it. That's like the, the most common path to a three color deck. So it's really just like any of the rares that are great. Shattered Silver Quill would be another example of the kind of thing where like once you have it, you're going to hold on for dear life, but you might have to add a color to your deck to just get to playables based on your seat, you know, how open your seat is. Next question, how well do pump spells work in Abzan versus Silver Quill? And related, how high uh, is Snakeskin Veil as a priority in Abzan? So I think that in general, pump spells are a little worse in Abzan than Silver Quill, because in general, pump spells are a little bit worse when you're less aggressive. Because a lot of the, you know, two and three mana creatures don't play as well here, I'm a lot less likely to have creatures on the battlefield early, which means that I'm less able to take advantage of 
you know, fewer combats are going to be generated and I'm less likely to have a creature that I can profitably target with a trick. Yeah, just like playing from behind a little bit where I tap out to play a creature and then my opponent can immediately answer it before I have the mana up for a trick because my curve's a little bit higher and I'm a lot less likely to like have a creature that's small that I'm like invested in attacking with such that I need a trick to be able to keep attacking with it. So I would say, I mean, also just like I have access to more colors of removal and I'm prioritizing that removal. And so I end up like prioritizing removal over tricks. So for the most part, I would say any kind of like combat trick should have a lower priority here than it would be in a deck with more creatures and especially with a lower curve. That said, I think that it's fine if you end up playing Infuse with Vitality or something, especially if you have uh, some cards that it works well with being any kind of card that like generates value when it enters the battlefield, so like Spring Main Servant or Professor of Zoomancy or something. As for Snakeskin Veil specifically, that's going to depend somewhat on exactly what your good cards are and like whether you have bombs that are creatures that are worth protecting, whether you're in a space that's like going hard on Blood Researcher for some reason or something like that. In general, I think Snakeskin Veil is a fine card, but I would expect to have like enough impact density that I am not like specifically attached to a single creature surviving in a way that Snakeskin Veil is going to be a lower priority for me here than it would be if like I were a Quandrix deck that was taking advantage of uh, Quandrix Pledge Mage, for example. Next question, would Professor Onyx be another of those rares that could put you in Dabzan if you have to pivot out of one of the colleges? Yeah, absolutely. Any, any, any rare that is just like a legitimate bomb where you see it and you pick it immediately, any of those cards uh, you're going to be hesitant to give up and so all of those are going to function as like, okay, I'm, I'm attached to this and I'm going to make it work somehow. Next question. In relation to other Strixhaven archetypes, what matchups does Abzan do well or poorly in? So this is not a question that I'm going to have enough data on to speak with confidence or authority about, but hypothetically, just from a theory standpoint about like what it's generally structurally good and bad against. I've found that Abzan plays pretty well against the control decks, especially the decks that are just like trying to one for one over and over because of both the ability to like go wide and generate extra threats for a single card, largely from Pest Summoning and Professor of Zumancy, but also somewhat from, as I mentioned, the like just the uncommon and rares that give you a body and learn and also Bookworm. But then also sometimes there will be, you know, cards like Harmonize or especially Harness Infinity, although that's a little harder if you're actually like solidly Abzan rather than like Witherbloom or Witherbloom Splash White. But in general, I've found Abzan to be pretty good at grinding against like the very controlling decks. You always need to be careful with your green, when, whenever you're green-black to make sure you have enough removal not to lose to aggressive flyers but i think that like the addition of white and prioritizing you know mage duels and stuff works pretty well there i think everyone kind of struggles with a good silver quill draw i don't think abzan is particularly vulnerable to that i think when you get too grindy you are always in danger of losing to an over-the-top bomb so like an opposing blot out the sky or mizzix mastery or something like that 
Theoretically, Prismari is just like categorically about presenting that kind of bomb in the form of just like, if I don't have a rare, then at least I'm playing to Elemental Masterpiece or something. Theoretically, Prismari is structured to go over the top of Abzan, but I don't think it like convincingly does it reliably without rares. I think that that matchup seems more close to me. Beyond that, I'm I'm just not really sure. Matchups are really hard to discuss and limited because they often end up coming down to specific cards a lot, especially like what are the good rares in these decks. All right. Oh, um, next question is, does Crushing Disappointment fit in? I consider Crushing Disappointment to be one of those like also ran, this is a fine card to put in my deck, but not a priority type of cards. That reminds me that I want to mention that I do think that all of the uh, plus one plus one counter type stuff uh, is a trap. This isn't the place where you want to be combining uh, Karak Wrangler with Dueling Coach and uh, Tenured Ink Caster. That whole thing that kind of looks like there's something there falls solidly on, into the like, this is just a trap, these cards aren't good, don't play it type space. Next question is, what things should you focus your removal on in this archetype? Which is an interesting, so that's more of a play question than a drafting question. Um, obviously, a card like Lash of Malice is generally designed to not fall behind early if you don't have your own early plays, and it's fine to kill basically anything with it. Mage Duel is another card that I think of as kind of just like a tempo type play like often if i can kill something with this i'm reasonably likely to whereas you know your bigger removal is stuff that you can afford to be a little bit more selective about for the most part you know by the time i have enough mana to cast rise of exodus i'm just going to kill my opponent's best thing with it because learning is productive but at the same time there is definitely you know you want to be aware of trying to figure out you know in a given matchup who has inevitability whether you need to be trying to use your removal spells to give you an attack versus whether you want to be holding your removal spells for a card that's actively beating you, right? Like, if you are in a board stall and you can use a removal spell to break that board stall, sometimes you want to and sometimes you don't. And a lot of that is about how urgent you think it is for your deck in the matchup to make sure that something productive is happening versus, like, if you're happy with a board stall, wanting to save the removal for something that your opponent might play that would break through on their side. And that's really going to depend on like the overall curve in your deck and how many like fractal summoning type cards you have access to that you expect to make you win late games and stuff. So it's a good question, but a big question that's going to depend on a lot. And I, I think a lot of it is really coming down to that, like when you're at parity and you could like try to use a removal spell to push your advantage versus hold on to a removal spell in case your opponent plays some kind of like thing that you can't deal with while maintaining parity. I think that that's kind of just like a big question about how to play removal and limited in general, more than something specific to this archetype, but definitely something that's worth asking about and trying to figure out like good guidelines to how to think about if you don't feel comfortable making those decisions. Next question is kind of a step back. I mentioned using five color fixers in five color decks. The question here is when do you prefer Archway Commons versus Letter of Acceptance? Fundamentally, Archway Commons is a two drop. It takes your turn two, and Letter of Acceptance is a three drop, and it ramps you. A lot of that is going to be about how those two cards fit into your curve. If you don't have a lot of twos and you do have a lot of threes, 
you want Archway Commons rather than Letter Acceptance. If you do have a lot of twos, you're more likely to want a letter. This is especially true if you're taking advantage of the fact that letter ramps you. Also, sometimes you want to take advantage of the fact that letter is an artifact. Specifically, if you have reconstruct history, that would push toward wanting letter. Additionally, part of it depends on when you want your fixing done by. Letter is at its best if you have a solid color or two that you're getting your two drops from. So you can know that your game is going to go, I play like a swamp, and then I play some other land and a black two drop. And then I play letter, and then my other colors are like four and five mana spells that I cast after I play the letter. Whereas with archway commons, because you fix on turn two and then cast something on turn three, if your color base is a little bit more scattered and you have like three drops from all over the place, that can work with Archway Commons, where you go, turn one, I'm going to do nothing. Turn two, I'm going to play Archway Commons. And then turn three, I'm set up to cast whatever I want. Whereas, like, I wouldn't be able to fix until after turn three with the letter. That's not necessarily, oh, if you're this color, pair this. It's not necessarily that easy. Um, I think that's the best I can speak to about, like, when one is specifically a better fit than the other. Next question. Uh, in my last draft, I played Abzan. In pack three, I had to pick between Closing Statement and Rise of Extus. I went with Rise. Do I have a preference between the two? I think Closing Statement is the stronger card overall. If I had a mascot exhibition and I was low on ways to find it or something, I would take the Rise of Extus. But instant speed plus getting the counter plus like the ability to play it for three mana, Closing Statement is a pretty amazing card. Obviously, also, if like white mana is particularly unreliable like if you're just barely splashing and you won't necessarily have white by turn three or five or six then like maybe you want the rise instead uh just if you're trying to keep your white super minimal but assuming you can cast either one closing statement is generally a stronger card all right so i think that covers the uh questions that i haven't talked about so i'm gonna wrap this up with a nice short episode Thank you everyone for listening. And for anyone who is unaware, I stream every day on uh, Twitch at twitch.tv slash Samuel H. Black. And I record this podcast live on that channel Wednesdays at 8 p.m. So if you are listening to this not live and interested in tuning in sometime to catch it, that's where and how you can do that. And if you're just interested in more content from me in general, uh, my stream is the best way to check that out, just because there's always new content there. Little little thing I thought I'd mention, since I have run into some people in stream who uh, said they found it a while after finding the, the episode and didn't put these things together. So I uh, just want to make sure that that information's out there. Thank you, everyone, and I'll be back next week.